back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that have hit the market, and cap off with discussing regulatory updates. This roundup is the curated shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is hosted by Nick and Aditi, who work in sales and business development across the Asia-Pacific. So Nick, what are some of the headline numbers and events that happened in the past month? I should say good afternoon, good evening. It's episode, I think we're nearly up to two years of the podcast. So thanks for uh, sticking with us, everyone. But yeah, Aditi, been another busy, uh, busy period. So the first thing is sort of the indications of volumes for next year and just a couple of observations about the third quarter numbers, which I'll run through. So we're starting to see the um, the forecast for next year. HSBC has come out recently and said maybe 850 for green bonds. Hopefully they crack the, the trillion um, issuance in a year. Hopefully next year. Let's uh, fingers crossed for that. And some other organisations coming out with different sorts of levels, but I think it all indicates pretty good momentum still in the sustainable finance markets, which is great to see. In terms of the third quarter numbers, the CBI Climate Bond Initiative came out with a very insightful report, as they always do. We'd encourage our listeners to check that out. But just a few observations structurally on what that means for some of the future of sustainable finance. Definitely the sovereign issuance or issuers definitely growing and and post COP26, um, that will accelerate further. Sustainability bonds and and social labelled bonds stabilising versus last year, but still a much bigger piece of the sustainable finance market versus what it was pre-2020. So I think that the bigger role that those two instruments have is here to stay. Um, Transition bonds specifically labelled, not much. I guess that sort of cake, so to speak, is getting eaten more by the, the SLB and SLL world, but we'll see probably a shift I think in the next year, a little bit more transition labelled. And in January, for those listeners who don't know, we will do our outlook for, for 2022 and, and come up with a 10. We'll give myself a scorecard for suggested might happen over 2021 and also look to 2022. So look out for that um, in, in January. Um, SLBs are still the biggest and fastest growing part of the market. And green still continues to anchor the market and, and grow, albeit at a slower percentage, still be the biggest part um, and composition of the market. So those are just a little bit of flavour on where we might be headed and um, some of the Q, Q3 numbers. The other thing that the big news, I guess, um, Aditi, is more of the post-COP. So COP26, we spoke a little bit about this in the last podcast, but I guess the dust is slowly settling on that. And just to highlight a few things that we've really taken away, um, the methane pledge Again, reducing 30% by 2030. Methane is much stronger than CO2. It needs to be handled better by companies and will take a bigger feature in terms of KPIs and use of proceeds-related items for sustainable finance going forward. There's been a deforestation pledge. Um, a few countries like India, and I think Russia as well, net zero commitments at different timeframes. There was the coal phase down kind of pledging, some challenge on fossil fuel subsidies. So really a whole range of things. Even the the rule book from Paris was finalised in terms of how carbon credits can be used between countries. Um, The issue of just transition has flared up again in terms of how and what the developed countries should do to and with and how they should support the developing nations. So a whole range of issues, certainly some disappointment too as to the effectiveness of the COP forum. But look, at least it's better than nothing. 
it's never going to be as much as we want, as fast as we want, um, but at least more and more of these issues becoming more centre stage in policies, in frameworks going forward. So let's see how much that, that underpins market growth uh, going forward. We could talk for hours on COP, but they were just a few takeaways, and I think it'll really underpin some market growth going forward, particularly in relation to, uh, to sovereigns. One other thing to note, um, Science-Based Targets Initiative, fantastic initiative, and we'd encourage, again, all our listeners to check that out. They're probably pretty familiar with that already. They came out with a net zero target setting mechanism, which builds upon um, the sector plans and also the the other approaches they have on absolute emission reductions and, and some other methodology they have. So do check that out. It's a very good uh, framework around mitigation hierarchies and neutralizing emissions that can't be removed from a business over time and having offsets as a last resort. Uh, it's a very good document. So do check that out. Um, a couple of interesting articles I've started to really notice on the different ways to measure GDP. There's a bit of an underpinning to COP, you know, the focus on just economic growth is maybe not the best and balanced way to do that. And, and countries, I think New Zealand's a leader in this looking at more wellness measures and other things. I think that'll be really interesting to see how some of those initiatives get included in sovereigns going forward. So the World Bank came out with a pretty long report on that. So something to think about. Speaking of reports, an excellent, excellent report, which we um, saw over the month, was one released by ICMA and the IFC and UN Women about bonds to bridge the gender gap, a practitioner's guide to using sustainable finance for gender equality. Really, really great read. And what I loved about that report is that it had a whole bunch of sample KPIs and things. As we know, gender is a key issue and should and could be included in more transactions. And there's plenty of different ways to approach that. But I'd encourage everyone to, to, to do check that out. Some really, really good um, case studies and post KPIs and things to sort of slice and dice that issue, so to speak. Okay, another, it's been a really big month for, for reports. Um, the PCAF, which is one of the tools that banks can use to measure their what we call financed emissions or, or scope three. We've got um, an initiative called PACTA. We've got the SBTI uh, Financial Institutions Initiative, and we've also got PCAF. So PCAF is an organization which comes out with different standards on how banks can measure emissions in their portfolios. And they've came out with a really good public consultation around how to include emissions when you're just financing or underwriting and not necessarily financing as a loan for an extended period. So some of that transactional type business, a little bit on how sovereigns can measure a few different things as well. So definitely check that one out. What else have we got here? Nuclear. Nuclear jumped out. Um, it was funny, even since putting the podcast plan together, we've seen Bruce Power issue uh, for a refurb of a nuclear plant in Canada. So I think this whole issue of nuclear is really going to develop pretty fast into next year, but we'll talk about that in our outlook for 2022. So keep that in your back of uh, everyone's minds. Again, a bit of an emotive issue. Should we, shouldn't we? How should we treat nuclear? Where does it and how is it featured in, in the solutions to move to a low-carbon economy? The jury's sort of out on, on that. Greenwashing, we saw the usual, you know, articles, nothing incredibly different to report on that. But look, as we've said before, scrutiny is good, challenge is good, nuanced comments are preferred over general comments. Um, so we'll talk more about that um, in future podcasts. In terms of taxonomies, the EU and, and China came out with a common ground taxonomy. So check that out for anyone doing financing in, in China or thereabouts. It's an attempt to really benchmark some taxonomies there and find some common ground and then have some folks use that analysis to, to issue against, so to speak. So we'll see how that develops. Um, there's a bit of additional challenge issued towards ESG risk rating providers, IOSCO, and I can't remember the full 
explanation of that acronym um, in the EU came out and have suggested that ESG providers be regulated and much more scrutiny on that. And we, we welcome that. I think we're certainly well placed to, to be regulated. And I think that can only be a good thing, more transparency and more demands on, on raters in terms of how they rate and, and what they're doing. So let's watch that space and see how that develops into next year. That's probably the main uh, the main things. A little bit on climate tech, a little bit more on direct air capture and, and CCS. Um, so lots of other sort of issues swirling around. But those are the main ones issue that Aditi that caught my eye. So yeah, smorgasbord yet again, lots of different things. And what about yourself, Aditi? So green bonds, pretty busy time in the market. What's what's kind of jumped out at you, um, or what have you seen and observed in the recent time? Yes, absolutely. So green bonds and as per our usual segment, starting with sovereigns. So Hong Kong government issued its first ever yuan denominated green bonds. And then in the Middle East, uh, Saudi plans to enter the market for green bonds in the coming months. In Europe as well, Switzerland announced plans to issue green bonds and Austria and New Zealand also recently announced plans to issue green bonds. Yeah, moving on to United States, uh, U.S. announced its plans to issue investment-grade bonds to raise financing for scaling renewable energy and sustainable infrastructure in emerging economies. And then European Commission also issued its first and the world's largest green bond just weeks before COP26, raising a total of 12 billion euros to fund green and sustainable investments across the European Union. Moving to South America... Peru debuted in the ESG-labeled debt market with a $4 billion triple trancher. And Kenya also is ready to issue green bonds to finance climate adaptation and mitigation activities. So lots of activity from sovereigns. Moving to banks and the financial sector, Austrian insurer Unica kicked off a subordinated debt tender exercise. Uh, They invited holders of its tier two bonds to exchange part of their notes for cash with the insurer then intending to replace the repurchase paper with a new green issue. So Unica had launched its green bond framework about one and a half years ago, which was focused on renewable energy, waste to energy, electric rail transport, and water management projects. And they engage Sustainalytics to provide the allocation review. In India, where I'm based, SPI, which is the largest public sector bank, listed $650 million green bonds simultaneously on two exchanges, the India International Exchange and the Luxembourg Stock Exchange. Shipping, quite topical at the moment. Maersk issued its inaugural 10-year euro-denominated 500 million green bond, and the proceeds from this bond will be used to fund its first feeder vessel and eight green methanol ocean-going container vessels. In the rental car space, Hertz announced plans to add Tesla electric vehicles to its fleet, which is a big news for the securitization market. And Frost CMBS, which is a single-purpose investment fund vehicle set up to refinance the loan provided by Goldman Sachs, they have developed their green securitized bond framework and engaged Sustainalytics to provide the second-party opinion. This opinion is published on our website, so our listeners can check that out. Moving on to the property sector, Amco Realty in Canada concluded the sale of its $500 million inaugural green bond issuance. And in China, Choice Properties REIT announced its green financing framework, which was again reviewed by Sustainalytics. And then in UK, VIA Outlets, which is a retail property company, they debuted with green bonds worth 600 million euros. And lastly, in the property sector, Dios, a Swedish commercial and residential property developer, became the first company to set up a financing framework conforming to EU taxonomy for sustainable activities and the European green bond standard. 
Moving on to renewables, Southwestern Electric Power Company, which is a mid-sized U.S.-based utility company, issued green bonds. And then, um, Nick, you already spoke about Bruce Power. So BMO Financial Group in Canada issued $500 million in green bonds with Bruce Power, which is a private sector power provider in Ontario. In Europe, Dutch grid operator Steden and Spanish utility, uh, I hope I pronounced this correctly, Iberdrola, came out with green bonds. Again, in Europe, Amsterdam-based solar developer and clean water solutions provider Photon Energy successfully placed its Euro 50 million green bond in an oversubscribed offering. Moving back to APAC, uh, Solar Tarlac, which is a subsidiary of renewable energy firm Solar Philippines, is planning to raise 4 billion Philippine peso from the issuance of a green bond. And in California, to mitigate the impact of extreme weather and climate change, especially forest fires, PG&E, which is a San Francisco-based energy company, issued $860 million in green bonds to fund wildfire safety efforts. In the IT sector, we saw Micron Technology issued a $1 billion inaugural green bond. In autos, Ford offered $2.5 billion green bonds to investors for the first time as part of its transition to electric vehicles. So we see a lot of automakers transitioning to EVs. In plastics, Poseidon Plastics secured CBI certification for green bonds to finance a commercial PET facility intending to use PET waste as feedstock. Talking about uh, the mining sector, Famur Group, which is a Polish manufacturer of mining machinery, they issued green bonds worth 87 million euros to finance environmentally friendly projects. And Fortescue Group in Australia also flagged plans to issue green bonds. BTSE in Thailand, which is a subsidiary of BTS Group and the main operator of the group's rail mass transit, issued uh, Thai Bath 10.2 billion green bonds for financing their line extensions. Sustainalytics with a second-party opinion provider in this case, and also the CBI verifier. So you can check out this opinion. And to wrap this segment, China plans to develop its ESG-linked panda bond market in what has been a very eventful year for ESG financing in the country. So that's pretty much it when it comes to the green bond updates. Uh, but how about on the social side, Nick? Anything labeled in its own right this month for social bonds or loans? Yeah, a couple of a couple of things, Aditi. And as we know, the the direct issuances or specific labels only for social are a bit fewer versus last year, but still an important part of the market. So continuing the trend of banks issuing specifically in social label, Barclays issued something on the social side. Um, also B&G, which is a financial provider in Europe. And those were really just the ones that stood out, possibly, you know, possibly more. But green has certainly been more of a recent flavour that we've uh, seen. Um, and what about Aditi on the green the green loan side? I guess we've talked about bond formats there. Anything that's that's jumped out or been transacted in green, probably the usual characters of renewables and uh, and uh, and property. But anything that jumped out? Yes. So in talking about renewables, solar pure play company Sunseep Group, based in Singapore, where you're located, so they obtained an eighty-five million dollar loan from DBS and UOB, and it will be used to finance their project to install solar photovoltaic systems, so PV cells. Then we saw the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development (EBRD) that provided a twenty-five million dollar loan to guarantee leasing for lending to eligible companies looking to invest in greater sustainability. Then IDB Invest, which is an affiliate of Inter-American Development Bank, granted a loan of $70 million to Colombian lender Banco Agro Mercantile to fund green loans to SMEs in Guatemala. 
And finally, in Australia, Pacific Equity Partners entered into the green loan market for the first time for its portfolio company IntelliHub. So this is PEP's first green loan, but also the first green loan in the world to receive electrical grid and storage certification under the climate bond standard. Nick, moving on to our next segment, which is sustainability-linked bonds. Any particular transactions to highlight over the month? Yeah, absolutely. A few things. And I've mentioned before on the podcast, maybe we need a separate podcast just for linked instruments going forward. Loads and loads happening. So this section is actually getting longer and longer in each podcast. Um, We won't go into all of the individual transactions or all of the details, but just a bit of a flavour. So TDK, um, I'm showing my age here, but for those who remember the old tapes, TDK uh, tapes that used to go into tape decks and and things. Not sure exactly um, further on details, but just interesting that the type of issuer there. Loomis, uh, cash handling business, focusing on GHGs and you know distribution and, and those type of um, things, announced a, a framework. Uh, we also saw a couple in the sort of healthcare pharmaceutical. Um, the first one is... Teva, T-E-V-A, which was an interesting one, a little bit similar to Novartis that um, Sustainalytics worked on back at the original sort of start of the market over a year ago. And Teva was working on looking at, you know, generics and access in um, tougher uh, frontier kind of uh, markets and and developing markets. So that was good to to see. The other one was for Electa. And Electa was looking at cancer care units and increasing those equipment usage in different markets. Pretty specialised what they do there. So good to see different type of issuers. Um, chemicals. I think we're going to see a lot more on chemicals next year. We've already seen a couple of other issuers go to market, certainly in green format over the year. You know, BASF and, and Bayer and Razchem and, and a few different ones. But this one was for Land X. Uh, I'm getting all the tricky pronunciations um, back again, and that's really um, scope one and two. So chemicals probably take a a greater role next year in decarbonisation because it pretty much is in everything we use in terms of products and other things. Um, What else have we got? Singtel, Sustainalytics worked on that one. GHG Focus also including Optus. Optus, one of the large telcos in Australia, part of the Singtel group, which both had SBTI line targets and and that formed the basis for those deals. Accor from a hospital, great to see. Um, GHG scoping on one and two. Uh, scope one and two and also scope three um, got in there as well. So good to see more transactions with an element or, or a big chunk of scope three being included. A super interesting one we saw was for Kinivec. And I'm sorry if I'm saying that right. Uh, sorry, wrong. I'm sure there's a much better way to pronunciate that. But that had a mixture of targets connected to Kinivec, or a, a private uh, equity fund or a financier. And they had a range of targets connected to their portfolio of companies, but also they had an ESG type of score and methodology across their companies. So the KPI was to task improvement in that. So that's an interesting development and we'll see how that goes over time. Um, As we know, public bonds can be difficult to structure ESG ratings around given the different regulatory uh, regimes, but let's see how that one goes. Um, Indorama produced a lot of PET and sort of plastics related, went to market looking at recycling rates and those type of things. Atos went to market, which Sustainalytics worked on, a French IT company looking at GHGs in scope one and two and, and, and part of scope three, I believe. KPN also on the IT side of things. Actually, that one was interesting. It was just on scope three. So SBTI aligned in the telco space and, and IT. So yeah, a little bit different. We saw Yinsen go to, to market. Yinsen provide a lot of ships connected to the oil and gas sector, focusing on GHGs and re- renewable en- energy um, generation and those type of things. We saw Biwi 
BEWI, our packaging, go to market, look at some recycling rates and GHGs. Semex, a really, really interesting deal that Sustainalytics worked on, focusing on GHGs. They're big um, from Mexico on the cement side. So check that out. That also included a climate transition finance handbook assessment or alignment assessment. It had GHGs. It had components within the production process as well. As we know, cement, there's different stages, uh, there's different issues. And that one was interesting that it included overall and some sort of other targets um, in the interim steps to focus on some different types of efficiencies there. Henkel, I think we might have mentioned that in last podcast, focused on plastics, looking at recycling rates, uh, and also Scania. Scania, I think it was a bond, could have been a loan actually, we're just reading my notes here. Uh, one of the big truck makers building on some of the green structures that they've done before. So yeah, pretty interesting month with lots of different things and great to see the different issuers coming to market, the different sectors, still a pretty heavy focus on the E, still a pretty heavy focus on the GHGs, but also a lot around recycling, a lot more, which is interesting to see. So yeah, another busy month. Absolutely. Nick, moving on to our next segment, which is questions from our listeners this month. So we have a couple of questions. The first one being, what do we think of qualitative targets and not performance-based? Oh, that's a tricky one. Oh, maybe I can turn that one back to you, Aditi, to have a stab at that one, but I'll have a, I'll have a go. Um, look, I think, you know, as an as a external opinion provider, we prefer targets to be performance-based because at the end of the day, the linked instruments, we're really trying to measure the step change the improvement of sustainability performance, not just uh, not just a commitment to start reporting on something or do an analysis on something. That's great and often very valuable, but we want to really get to a stage where we're measuring and seeing and tasking a company in terms of the improvement going from A to B or A to C. So I'd say whilst conclusively the market hasn't really landed on one way or another for this, um, we're challenged with those type of KPIs. We're happy to look at them. But they have to be on something super, super, super difficult. Maybe it's an analysis for water. Maybe it's an analysis for scope three, plus then targets to be set off the back of it. That that would be a maybe. Then again, the, the position we always take is we prefer something around direct performance rather than a, a potential commitment. So that would be my best answer for now. Uh, but let's see how that um, develops in, in the market and expectations around commitments to, to start doing something rather than the specific sustainability performance of something. Great. And the second question was that lately we're seeing a lot of private equity firms exploring sustainable finance. So what are some of the market trends you are seeing or updates that you can share with our listeners? Oh, that's another tricky one, Aditi. You're really um, roasting me close to, to Christmas at this stage. Thanks for the Christmas presents. But um, look, on this one, I'd say, and I'd encourage our listeners to check out, um, so Science-Based Target Initiative released a guidance document. Um, I think it might, I think it recently was under public consultation and now they've finalised it. So that should be on their website, but it's actually a specific document connected to private equity. So do check that out. There's a few different ways that the private equity can sort of participate in that. There's a temperature score model, which they have. There's a coverage model for a private equity company having in their investees, having science-based target initiative, approved targets and coverage. So there's a couple of different ways that private equity can look to get science-based targets and get coverage over their portfolio. I have some temperature scores um, as well. But what I'd say is overall, it, it can be a challenging area. We will see more of this going to next year. So it's really important to set up targets. If the private equity company doesn't know what they're going to invest in to set up targets that are still going to be meaningful and relevant, 
depending on changes in the portfolio. And that can be a challenge, the buying and selling of companies and how that impacts baselines and positions. But I'd encourage anyone to really check that out. Um, one thing that we look at is always, okay, the fund is, is money being raised at the fund level. Hence, we need to look at how that money is being used across a, a set of investments and then aggregate some impact across that, or is it really being raised to be funneled into one direct subsidiary where, where we can just focus this on the sustainability performance of the one subsidiary or investment, if you are, if you like. So definitely a bigger role to play, but I would highly, highly suggest people check out that SBTI paper because that goes through basically all the issues to, to consider and it's a really um, well worth documenting reading document, although I think it's 80 or 90 pages, so I had to read it a few times and I'm still coming to grips with all the components in there, but a really good structure. So definitely we'll see more on that. Thanks for sharing that, Nick. Moving on to SLLs. So any interesting sustainability-linked loans over the past month that caught your eye that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, a couple of things. So again, the, the, the property sector, a bit of a mainstay in this aspect of the market as well. Fraser's property has been into the market in green and, and linked formats a, a few times. Also, TMSC, um, I think Taiwan did something, Endesa did something, uh, Taiwan even a little bit more, Yongguan, I can't actually remember what they did, I had that in my notes. So yeah, a bunch of different SLLs from maybe more geographies that have stood out this time. Wholesome on the cement side, do check those ones out. Cement, again, there's been a couple of really good transactions, the, the Semex one we mentioned before, and, and Wholesome um, have a pretty expansive and progressive sustainability agenda. Uh, we saw a little bit on Japan real estate for Investem, uh, SDR Health, I believe, in uh, in New Zealand, um, ESR Property REIT, Thai Union did something mirroring what they'd done in a bond pretty much before. British Airways um, alone, that's a good one to check out too in terms of the ratios and, and KPIs used. In Savo, oh, jeepers, I can't say that, a green Skine. I'm sure I've totally butchered that pronunciation, like a private placement, did something as well. Impressor on the pulp and paper side. Most of these have had GHG targets. Sometimes it can be tricky to work out what the actual targets are because that market's less transparent than the bond side. So I think it's right. more about the geographies and the, and the sectors going to market. So yeah, a bit of a mini smorgasbord there, but more difficult to work out exact KPIs and, and targets around around those, probably similar to what we've seen on the bond sides, heavy focus on the E, heavy focus on recycling water, GHGs. Yeah. How about label products, Nick? Anything notable over the month? Yeah, probably similar to what we've seen in previous months. So DBS here in Singapore launched a banking tool or an, or an app that automatically generates a you know, footprint for different things, different transactions you're doing through the bank. So that's interesting. A little bit more, a few different articles on trade finance and in integrating sustainability and that. The ICC came out with something in that regard, bit of a roadmap. We saw an ESG-linked cross-currency swap. Um, I think Krongsi Bank in Thailand did that with PTTEP. So again, some of these things we've talked about, but it's more about the geographies they're getting done, which sort of signals, is a good signal in terms of sophistication of different markets, the broadening of, of linking ESG elements to different topics. We've seen a whole range of SME funds, green SME funds, different themed funds, which is good. The, the more piles of capital there is to direct to these things, the more issuances and loans that will happen. Uh, what else have we seen? Some EV programs. I mentioned supply chain before. Um, some of the Aussie banks have been pretty active too on the pharma sort of side and the agri side and discounted loans to, to incentivize some different behaviours and and activities there. As we know, agri is a, a crucial part of the overall transition to net zero. So yeah, mixture of things. Aditi, some, most of them sort of we've seen before. 
Um, and then a couple of newer geographies and, and banks entering the fray using some of those structures. And hopefully we see more. It's an exciting market. Right, absolutely. How about transition? Anything of particular note for transition? Yeah, a couple of things. As, as I sort of mentioned at the start of the podcast, transactions specifically labelled as transition or based on a use of proceeds approach, not very common. Uh, we'll see that grow into next year, I think, as we sort of land more on what good looks like for transition. You know, there's the ICMA Climate Transition Finance Handbook, CDP's come out with something, CBI has a paper. So there's more reference points. So I think that'll underpin what good looks like for transition, which will give people more confidence to issue in that format. But a couple of things we've noted, MOL on the shipping side did a transition-based loan in Japan. So we saw um, we saw that. What else have we uh, have we seen here? We saw an interesting one. I don't know if this is formally transitioned, but there was a, a basket sort of loan that was done or a, a basket bond, we call it. I think that's a bunch of smaller companies sort of teaming together in the oil and gas um, supply chain. And that was heavily sponsored by um, E&I, I think, in Europe. So again, interesting how groups or, or ch- supply chains or value chains in an industry are maybe linking up together and signing up to the same sort of um, commitments and, and disciplines around that. So yeah, a couple of things on transition, but hopefully a lot more to share as the SLB market, let's just say stabilizes, continues to grow and we start to see specifically focused and labeled transition deals, funding specific equipment technologies to support the transition to a low carbon economy. So yeah, watch this space for sure. Hopefully more news coming up. Sure, Nick. And then to wrap up, I know we've covered a lot already on sovereigns at the beginning of this episode, but anything on the regulatory side for countries that you'd like to end with? Yeah, a couple of things. As we know, the EU just continues. We could do a whole podcast just on the EU sustainable finance um, taxonomy and and connected legislation and SFDR and all sorts of acronyms and programs going. That's just continuing to be uh, ongoing. A lot of of articles about where I'm from in Australia, about Australia, could it be the, the hydrogen, you know, exporting powerhouse? Australia, is it really serious about the net zero target, what that will mean? A lot of discussion about emerging markets after COP and just transition and what obligation do the rich countries have to the, you know, developing or frontier sort of markets. Thailand continues to come out with some really progressive banks and commitments and different things. Same for the Middle East. Korea's been in the news um, about some different things that they're doing. Big push continued from the Philippines. So ASEAN, a bit of a hotbed of activity. Australia's been active in terms of some of the dialogues around net zeros. And then we've seen in the Middle East, a little bit in Africa, India, where you're based. Didi, we mentioned the net zero there. And really interesting to see how that filters down to corporates in terms of commitments fitting in with that government agenda. A little bit on China, Belt and Road, a little bit on China, um, EU, China, common ground taxonomy, Russia having a taxonomy and really focusing on net zero so a real a real sort of mixture of probably building on themes that we've come out before egypt is part of that middle east theme so really good to see different markets within geography segments as we've seen over the year you know asia continues to power along lots of activity in the eu americas but really growing and dynamic markets in latam africa middle east and, and different parts of asia so hopefully more to come next year so yeah big month yet again thanks nick great updates there All right, folks, that's about all the time we have for this episode today. Links to articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on our LinkedIn and Twitter at Sustainalytics and send any questions or feedback our way. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.